If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, you can download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Wiser Wednesday Experience Speaks, a podcast that discusses the improvement of physician engagement and physician documentation habits by focusing on the core aspects of clinical documentation integrity. Here is the creator and founder of Core CDI, the co-founder of Top Gun Audit School, and your host of this podcast, Glenn Krause. Uh, this is Glenn Krause from Wiser Wednesday's Experience Speaks. I have the privilege of having uh, Mike from uh, over there in Australia. Mike is currently the National Director of Clinical Documentation Improvement Australia. He has extensive experience as a health information manager and has a high level of proficiency in health information, clinical coding, case mix management, and CDI. A skilled communicator with an intense passion for the healthcare industry, Mike has rolled out numerous CDI programs across Australia, and he's regarded by his peers as an authority on implementing CDI programs seamlessly with clinicians and health leaders. Hey, I'm Mike, welcome to the show. I know there's a big 15-hour difference in time, so I, yours is, uh, you're getting, it's kind of weird. You're getting towards the end of the day, and I'm getting up. So how was no your day? Did, did you have a great day today? Uh, yeah, thanks very much for having me, Glenn. Um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah, it has, it has been a long day. Um, stuck down here in, uh, in Victoria in a, in a COVID world where we haven't really seen our family and uh, been outside 5Ks from our house in the last three months or so. So it's been a challenging period, but uh, um, we're almost uh, on the other side, which is fantastic. Oh, great. Yeah, uh, Mike and I connected on LinkedIn uh, and I, I reached out to him in LinkedIn with Mike because CDI is relatively new in the Australian area. And uh, I thought it would be great to have a kind of discussion of the evolution of CDI. I know with the, in, as compared to the United States, uh, CDI in Australia is, uh, I guess you would say, in its infancy stage, would you say, Mike? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And we would just wanted to share with the uh, podcast listeners and again, over here in the States, you know, where they're going, what's the momentum, what's the philosophy, because the payment system is much different in the United States versus Australia. So first, Mike, welcome to the show, and kind of give us an idea of what the, uh, where you are in CDI, where do you CDI go, and what was the impetus for CDI really taking off, uh, and what are some of the challenges that you see over there in Australia? 
Thanks, Glenn. Um, yeah, CDI has been uh, still relatively in its infancy in Australia. Um, we have had uh, activity-based funding um, in Australia for over a couple of decades, um, but it really has been uh, just in the last five or six years where the notion of clinical documentation improvement and, and, uh, and implementing programs has only started to become more of a hot topic in healthcare. Um, about five, five, six years ago, the first CDI programs um, were formed, uh, both at a public hospital and a private hospital in, in Sydney. Uh, there's not a lot of knowledge besides that coming out of the US. So there are a lot of um, reluctant, hesitant uh, hospital leaders and executives um, who uh, have yet to seen the results uh, of a CDI program, but it has gathered significant momentum in the last, especially in the last two to three years. Um, and there has been quite a number of uh, hospitals, both in the public and private sector, who have started to embark on their CDI journey. Uh, I will note that unfortunately in 2020, um, as is the case with so many um, areas of both healthcare and business in general, is that we've seen uh, that momentum halted a little bit because of because of COVID-19 and um, especially uh, unlike the US, most hospitals that do have CDI programs that are, you know, sick between six months and, and three years old, uh, only might have one to two CDSs within a facility. You know, we don't have teams of CDI professionals uh, running around in every hospital, unfortunately. So a lot of these um, CDS, CDI professionals, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with the clinical background have um, been, you've been asked and, and wrote back into clinical jobs to help with the COVID response. Um, those, yeah, and, and those with, you know, a health information background and a clinical coding background who are in these CDI roles, you know, there's, with cuts to elective surgery, obviously activity um, has dramatically decreased. Um, there's much more reporting requirements. So those health information professionals, plus the, um, the added uh, complexity of being forced to work from home, a lot of attention has gone into those types of facets of health information. Um, and unfortunately, CDI in not all, but, um, but so many hospitals and health services has lost a little bit of momentum. We are starting to see an improvement in that space now that, uh, you know, Victoria is still trying to get over a second wave. But the other seven states and territories of Australia are doing, uh, are doing really well and, uh, and hospital leaders are now looking to, um, to embark and make some decisions on CDI um, now that they are living in this new COVID normal world. Um, it is here to stay for a little while until, uh, until a vaccine, which yep. is likely not to occur this year, um, contrary to some opinions. Yeah, um, absolutely, Mike. <laughs> is uh, you know it is some time away, so we do need to be realistic and uh, and not wait for that time before we we need to progress with a number of these initiatives. And CDI is one of them. Is it, let me ask you a question: Is most of the uh, majority of the profession are they HIM? Or what's what is the makeup? Because you know in the United States, the majority of the CDI professionals are nurses. So what is the makeup there in Australia? Yeah, I mean, the majority of uh, the CDSs in Australia are, do, are nurses or have a clinical background. 
Um, that's not to say that there aren't hymns. There are a number of hymns and very good hymns um, in CDI roles. At, at, at CDIA, Clinical Documentation Improvement Australia, we uh, are not firmly in um, on either side. Or um, we believe that having the right person to fit the role is the most and the most vital decision that a hospital can make because they need to obviously have a very high level, high clinical acumen um, of which um, ex-nurses, especially from a critical care or emergency care, high acuity um, facility, that experience is really, really important. But there are a number of HIM professionals um, who do have that level of clinical acumen. Um, but really the, the person getting into these roles needs to have the attributes like resilience. They need to be able to develop relationships with clinicians because as I'm sure we'll speak about shortly, I mean, the CDI is, is all about behavioral change and cultural change in, in clinical documentation with the clinicians. So um, you do need to have the right person who's able to drive that change um, rather than someone who's just going to sit there and review medical records. Oh, that's an interesting point. You touched on a, I guess uh, a nerve in my in my in, in my body here because behavioral change is something that the big challenge in the states. There's an over reliance on queries. Uh, we have all this software. Uh, as I responded in your listserv, uh, I think I got some very good good uh, feedback from some of the listserv members. I probably mm. five or six. I was very surprised people actually responded back. And there's, there's, in our country, there's over-reliance on software to prioritize chart reviews and the ones with the most opportunity for improvement, i.e. reimbursement. So how do you, uh, in your organization, the Clinical Documentation Improvement Australia, what type of training do you provide? Is it on the floor? Is it is it, it, what's the role of queries? Is, is there over-reliance on queries there uh, compared uh, to here? Th no, there isn't. Let me sort of just wind the clock back a little bit. Okay, um, great. Uh, we, we've spoken about, I mean, I've, I've mentioned earlier that, you know, activity-based funding or case mix funding has been around in Australia for over a couple of decades. So, so why, the question is why are we only thinking about CDI in Australia now over the last sort of five yeah, or so question. years? Because, because we have, there has been a number of tried um, uh, methods to try and improve the quality of documentation. And I think about trying to uh, have one-off meetings with you know, junior medical officers whilst you know, they're going through medical school, but obviously they come, they spit out an intern and they're all just trying to not kill anybody and make medication errors and make the wrong decision. So any 45-minute uh, speech on documentation is going to be lost. We, we talk about, um, you know, why don't we get electronic medical records because they're going to be the panacea of yeah. high documentation quality. Um, but what we found, as I'm sure might be, is the case in, in the US, is that hospitals that implement uh, digital and, and EMRs actually see a decline in the quality of their documentation. Oh, absolutely. Boy, it's the same thing no matter where you are. Yeah, and, and we talk about, you know, AI in trying to pick up cues and these types of things. But, I mean, ultimately, it is, it is, that won't change the behaviour of clinicians over time. Just, just getting to that, uh, that query point, Glenn, you know, as coders and HIMs, uh, especially, again, in the last half a dozen or so years, um, we've been 
you know, we as coders have been trained to look for these cues in the medical record and write retrospective documentation query right, right. after retrospective documentation query. That's right. Um, and, and these could be going up to 12 months, maybe 20, up to 24 months in the private sector. We could be asking clinicians about the care months? for the patient. 24 months, sometimes in the private sector, there's a rebillable window. So coders are, you know, doing all this retrospective auditing, Yes. They're, they're looking for, um, le you know, legitimate uh, complexity in the patients and then yes. they're, and they're rebilling the private health funds. Um, but as, as everyone would be aware, that retrospective queries has no benefit to the patient whatsoever and nor are you ever going to uh, improve the, uh, the behaviour of clinicians by shoving pieces of paper under their nose or if it's an EMR, sending them um, electronic messages asking them about a patient. 24 um, months later, how do you remember that? How does the doctor remember it? That's exactly right. Well, there are there are guidelines in the um, in the coding standards that stipulate you need to provide you know uh, as much information on the query relating to the patient episode as possible. Same so here. all the clinic all the clinical cues that would yep. prompt the question, um, they can't be leading, they can't be financially driven. So there are a number of strict guidelines, but. But as I said, uh, it doesn't matter how many of those queries that you do, um, and even if they are only a month or two or a week or two post-discharge, they have no impact in the quality of care. Um, and therefore, you know, clinicians aren't going to change their behaviour, nor quite frankly do they, uh, you know, some, especially in the private sector, won't even complete them. Are they a CDI? Are they, okay, I know COVID probably changed a little bit, but are they usually on the floor? How, how what's... What are you seeing in your uh, in your in your company in your practice of CDI? So what so what we advocate for and what we set up as part of our programs is a concurrent model. So yes, the um, the CDI professional will be spending the majority of the time actually up on the ward reviewing records, regardless of whether it's paper or electronic, because they need to be need to be seen, they need to be developing relationships, they need to be rounding with doctors, they need to be um, educating uh, constantly, um, not just reviewing medical records. Uh, we promote a verbal queries, so long as obviously that information is then transposed in the medical record. And um, in the private sector, it can be difficult because you have, um, you have visiting medical officers who, you know, may visit once a week or once a fortnight, some anaesthetists, if you're querying an, an anaesthetic condition, um, may not be back for a month. So uh, written queries are not um, totally avoidable, um, but we do promote verbal queries because then that in, encourages that, uh, that interaction, that relationship building, and ultimately over time, that behavior will change. And so uh, uh, how do you track success? Here we, we, we measure case mix index, uh, CCMC capture rate, uh, Mike, you were commenting about my my uh, concern or my reservations about using only task-based KPIs of uh, number of charts reviewed, number of queries left. Do you measure? Do you measure the same uh, uh, in terms of performance there? What, what what's your what's your metrics that you use? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of them are the same in, in to a degree, and that's because really in still in its infancy, a lot of hospital leaders and executives, especially those financial directors, they want to see uh, a return on an investment. Um, a lot of this is really new to them. I mean, we're still presenting to, to hospital leaders at the moment who have, haven't even heard of the term CDI. 
So for them to then, uh, you know, allocate and commit to uh, a labour resource and pay for the program, they, they do want to see a return on investment. So therefore, we do have a focus to a degree on those similar metrics. So how many patients is the CDS reviewing um, on any given day? So that yes, they are, um, you know, the same type of things. How many DRG changes they are through the CDS intervention. But we also like to look and encourage how many education sessions and how what types of stakeholders are they actually presenting to um, each month. So it's pure, it's not just um, about those metrics. Um, as, as the programs mature, so whilst the CCs and uh, maybe the focus uh, initially for the first sort of three to six months as programs evolve, um, we start to really encourage uh, the quality aspect of the CDI professionals. So we start to get them involved in uh, ho you know, hospital readmission rates and hospital acquired complications and hospital infections. And what role can the CDS um, play in improving the quality of patient care in that respect and and the documentation is so vitally important in those areas as well it's just a lot harder in those initial stages to um, to quantify that when uh, you know when you're having a discussion with with a hospital executive but it's definitely something um, you know that we encourage in terms of what is their long term what's their philosophy um, for a CDI program um, and you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll get onto that shortly, but we really, really advocate that if, if a hospital or health service is going, their philosophy is really focused around the return on the investment and those types of metrics, then, then ultimately we, we wouldn't expect them to see long-term success in behavioural change of clinicians. So let me ask you a question. That's, I, I, I like your philosophy of focusing on behavioural change. As I mentioned earlier, that's something that we're not See, in the United States, one of my concerns is uh, we measure the number of queries, okay, number of charts for you, which a number of queries, which I think, Mike, you can agree, or we can agree, doesn't really measure uh, behavioral change because if you have behavioral change, you'll be issuing less queries. And That's I once, exactly right. I once went for a CDI leadership position in Brooklyn, New York, and the CFO asked me, what's your position on queries? And I said, well, what do you, well, please elaborate. You know, you want to get all the information before you answer. <laughs> and he says, uh, should your query rate be going up or down? And I said, well, that depends on the maturity of your program. He says, what do you mean? And I say, if your program is effective and it's changing behavior, your query rate should be going down. Well, I guess he didn't like that answer because I didn't get the job. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to be honest. How do you... Uh, in regards to uh, measurement of the uh, return, now we talked earlier before our podcast, you have private payers, uh, but the majority of payers are public sector. Uh, and so how do you measure uh, success in the public, you know, when you have public coverage? Uh, is it still based on case mix and so forth? It is, yeah. So it's still case mix in both in both sectors. I think it's just in the private you have... Um, because there's, you know, contractually the payers need to be um, settling the, each claim fairly soon up post-discharge and post-coding. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's more that, you know, immediate gratification 
for private facilities. But there's still that same gratification that can still show the same results from a financial um, point of view in the public sector. Um, it's just that it's not that immediate gratification in, in terms of dollars in the bank. It's it's then put forward to uh, for a hospital to be able to show, you know, the acuity in their activity in terms of the next funding round from from the states and, and federal governments. So the, the funding, it's sort of like the HCCs in the outpatient arena. What you report this year impacts you next year. Is that how? That's a, yeah, funding? that's a, that's exactly right. Yeah. So it's always a year behind. Yeah, that's exactly right. And a lot of it, it differs from state by state, but a lot of it's in block funding. Um, of you know two three years depending on um, depending on the government. So is the block funding geared towards the entire state, or is it geared specifically to to uh, to individual hospitals? How does that work? Uh, it, well, it's state based, so a lot lot of funding comes out of the state budget, and uh, um, and it is based on you know the activity from from previous years. Oh, I see. So what about what about uh, physicians? How uh, in most programs is there a physician advisor? Uh, that that's to me that's the standard. Having a physician who's a, a champion, who's not just chasing down queries from doctors who don't answer. And what's the status of that in your country? A really good question, and really the answer is that most hospitals who have embarked on a CDI program or a CDI journey don't have people in these positions. So when we are, um, we're partnering with hospitals, we actually encourage um, CDI champions. So they may not be um, in these paid salaried roles as, as CDI physicians, um, but they are, they act as CDI champions. We encourage the formation of CDI steering committees mm -hmm. um, of which the, the CDSs themselves will drive a lot of that. But it's really, really important in the first six months and we coach the CDSs through that is to, to start to identify those that, and there will there'll always be clinicians on one end of the spectrum who really are engaged. They really understand the message and they're passionate to improve their documentation. And we encourage the CDI the CDS, CDS, sorry, we encourage them to form a group of a steering committee to continue to build the momentum of the program. But there's no, none of those physician advisors that are uh, in each. What, what really is important is, is getting really good buy-in and support from the hospital executives. Um, uh, because if they don't believe in it, it, it won't filter down right, um, into the clinicians. Absolutely, top down. Do, 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 do most facilities, do they have uh, what we call here uh, chief medical officer, vice president medical affairs, medical executive uh, director? Do you have a similar form manager uh, do you see in your country with facilities? Yeah, we do. I mean, the governance and, and org structures, again, differs from um, private to, to public. A lot of the terms are synonymous and it depends on the size of the facility as well. Um, so those types of positions, um, yes, are, uh, are consistent across most large public hospitals in Australia. Um, in private hospitals, um, you may, you, you'll have a general manager slash chief executive officer, you'll have a finance director of nursing, sometimes an assistant general manager, and, a, and often a director, especially for the medium, large, acute uh, private hospitals, you may not have a dedicated director of medical services or clinical services. They may um, be visiting medical officers who, uh, for a portion of 
their time act as the director of medical services. But um, for, especially for larger um, private hospitals and private health groups, um, there are those roles of director of clinical services. A couple of other questions in the interest of time. I know you're uh, still working on my first cup of coffee over here. Uh, <laughs> have you given any thought? I, I think we touched on an interesting point. You raise an interesting uh, challenge that we have here in the States. Lots of residents come out not having a clue when it comes to documentation integrity. Is, is there a push over there to, from a CDI standpoint to uh, focus on developing formal, I guess what I call knowledge sharing and teaching uh, curriculum for residents? Where, where are you in that role in Australia? Um, I, I think I'll, I'll premise my response by saying that I, the vast, well, the, the majority of CDI programs uh, in Australia are in the private sector. Um, I think that whilst there are a number in the public sector, the uptake um, has been a little bit slower. So obviously, mm -hmm. in the in the public sector, that's where we have our rotating um, junior medical officers and registrars, so JMOs every every three months. And for those hospitals where we've partnered, we we do encourage that there's a a pretty robust and comprehensive training program um, for the junior medical officers at the start of each rotation. We often try and um, even align program implementation around the time of uh, uh, a new cycle for JMOs. That, are, at the same are, they time, called, are they residents? Is that what you call them? JMOs? Like here we call them residents. We call them JMOs? Yeah, junior, medic, junior medical officers, yes. So the residents, American term of residents, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but, I mean, but as we sort of touched on before, it, it you know, behavioural change and, and clinical documentation, it, it it filters from the top down. So whilst we obviously encourage, um, because junior medical officers are the ones who are doing the majority of documentation in the public sector, you know, that they're, they're learning from the senior doctors in that facility so whilst we can we can try and educate them they'll learn a lot of their behaviors from the senior medical staff um, at that hospital so it does need to filter from the top down so it's whilst you'll you'll tackle the jmos residents um, it's just as important if not more important to have that uh, behavioral change filter from the top down from those that have been at the facility and and practicing clinically for uh, for a long long time yeah, interesting, because I know I'm working over here in the States. I'm working with uh, Dr. Tisha Titus, and uh, she's out of Emory, and Dr. Jake Martin, who's a physician educator. I've known him for 23 years now. Uh, he hails out of Tennessee. I hail out of Vermont. Uh, we're, we're in the process of developing a, a formal curriculum for residents, and we're not just focusing and I, I'm not trying to, to pitch it, but I think it's a uh, one to get in close and get your thoughts. We're developing a curriculum through podcast and an LMS on uh, geared towards residents on how to con how to communicate in the chart. What is an effective note? What what is the standard of documentation? Because uh, I I I'm in my 20 plus 25 years, 27 years of CDI experience, we haven't done a great job. We haven't done a, a sufficient job, or we haven't played. We haven't fulfilled the role of uh, training and sharing best practices of documentation. I'm still seeing H and P's. I don't know about there. I'm seeing H and P's. No chief complaint. Uh, trying to figure out why the patient story, medical necessity, history of present illness, 
two or three sentences. I'm not sure what you see over there. Uh, then you get a bunch of diagnosis in the assessment. Uh, we call it uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, rabbit out of a hat. No idea where they came from. You know, do you see the same thing over there in your JMOs? It's like you're Wait. scratching your head, finding out where did this diagnosis come from? It is It is funny. There's this... Uh... The examples of poor documentation you see are quite vast over, uh, and they do change. They do, sorry, they do differ between the public and private sector. So in the private sector, uh, the doctors that are um, documenting in the medical record are visiting medical officers. They are a business unto themselves. Um, so there's really no incentive for them to be documenting in the medical record at all. They'll write you know, comprehensive discharge letters, you know, in terms of continuum of care for their yep. patients that they'll That's send right. to, their to the general practitioner. But the actual documentation in the medical record, I mean, it, it's, there'll be many, many VMOs um, who will just write OBS good, continuous planned or looks good. Like it may be one or two words is might be the only entry you actually see for three, four, five days, especially um, the surgical fraternity, um, you know, you could have a patient who has quite a, uh, a complicated procedure and is in for 10 days and there, there may not even be a note. And that's, that's the degree of documentation deficiency that we're seeing in the private sector. In the public, um, the quality of, the, well, the abundance of documentation is far greater, but the quality is probably just as poor. Um, you know, a lot of the auditing that we do um, with digital and, and EMRs is is you find that a lot of JMOs effectively it's a copy and paste exercise. Oh, copy the and paste. Same problem there we got over here. Uh, it's like okay, I read the same. You read the record, and you're looking for the patient's progress. A progress note is supposed to show progress. I got the same note three days in a row. Even the That's exactly right. I even yeah. see physical exams being copied. That's not good. Physical yeah, exams are not the same three days in a row. One of the, one of the biggest issues there is that the JMOs, if, especially if they're engaged and they're in, in improving their behaviours, they may be, may be writing really, really good notes, but the propensity for it to get actually lost in a, in, in a big jungle of, of pasted information. Oh, you got the same problem. Uh, it's really, 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 really high risk. So that's a, a pretty consistent recommendation that we are making to sites with 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 EMRs. Um, and that's, you know, it's can be challenging to overcome. But again, it's going to come down to, you know, educating and, and uh, these doctors and spending time with them and saying, well, you could actually be writing uh, yes. notes that are far making, having far more impact um, than, uh, than simply copy and pasting and then writing a few sentences at the end. Yeah, so it sounds like, Mike, in closing, you have the same challenge as we do over here in the States. Uh, but, but I like the fact that you know, the CDI profession uh, uh, is still evolving. It hasn't uh, got caught up in software. Any, uh, where, where do you see CDI, this last kind of discussion point here, where do you see CDI uh, transforming or uh, uh, advancing? Where, let's say two to three years. Where do you think the CDI pro program and profession will be in the, in your uh, in your neck of the woods? Look, I think we've been delayed, uh, obviously slightly in 2020 because of COVID. But I think there will be a tipping point in the next 12 to 24 months, where there's just a general acceptance that 
um, the significant impact that CDI will have, uh, not only on, on the bottom line for hospitals, but on patient outcomes. And I think a lot of light bulb moments uh, are occurring across hospital leaders around Australia and more and more people. But I think there will be a tipping point where hospitals will think, well, we can't not have a CDI program. We can't not have CDI professionals in our facility. They're too valuable. That's right. uh, we're not at that. We're not at that stage yet. But I think that's going to be the major evolution. Is is when we get to that point, and that's when we're really going to start to see some significant momentum, and we're going to start to see, you know, those uh, uh, CDI physicians. Uh, we're going to start to see steering committees and and bigger groups oh. and associations across the country. So uh, we're not there yet, but that's what I would anticipate some significant increase in momentum um, in the next three years. Oh, I wish you luck. Any closing remarks, uh, Mike? You, hey, one last question before I, uh, I, uh, you, you answer that. I, I just want to make sure I don't forget. Uh, hey, have you ever thought of your CDIA becoming CDI US? So open up the vision <laughs> over here because uh, you're, you're, you're a breath of fresh air, and I say that uh, emphatically and with, with, with candidness and honesty, because when you started up and started... Uh, speaking about behavioral change, that's something that we really need to focus on in this United mm. States. Oh, look, I won't, I won't get, give too much away, Glenn, but uh, look, I work with a really fantastic uh, small team. Um, we are all really driven. We have a really, you know, where our values are aligned. You know, our mission is to empower clinicians to deliver safer care to every patient through CDI. So, you know, we're, we're all uh, highly motivated and driven individuals and uh, we will look at every opportunity, Glenn, so without giving too much away. Uh, okay, no problem. All right, Mike, any final thoughts or besides wanting to get out of lockdown? That's a good thing. <laughs> uh, I must admit that does consume a lot of my thoughts on, uh, on any given day. But look, uh, thanks very much for having me, Glenn. It, uh, it's been, it's been a, a pleasure and a privilege. Um, look forward to potentially uh, doing some more of these in the future, but uh, you know, watch this space. CDI in Australia is going to really uh, start to gather some serious momentum over the next few years, and uh, I'm just really excited to be uh, be a part of that. Uh, best of luck to you. Thank you for listening. Glenn Kraus can be found on LinkedIn. Make sure to subscribe to Wiser Wednesday Experience Speaks on Anchor.fm or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to also visit core-cdi.com for CDI and Revenue Cycle Consulting Services and topgunauditschool.com, a coaching service for hospital and clinicians. This podcast was produced by medicalcodinggeek.com. medicalcodinggeek.com